Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, welcome to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast. Every week, we're excited to bring on new guests from all walks of life throughout the world of fishing to connect with our listeners. Whether you're a guide, charter captain, lure bait maker, fly fisherman, or surfcaster, if you have some great stories to tell, we'd love to provide that link to our listeners for you. We are on Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers and on Facebook at Tide Chasers Podcast, as well as all of your major podcast platforms from Apple to Spotify, Pandora, and our latest venture with Waypoint TV. Check the link in our bio of where you can tune in. Before we get started, I would like to talk about a new partnership for us with Tarij Eyewear. If you're like me, outside of your fishing rod, your optics might be the most important piece of your fishing gear you pick up for the day. Polarized sunglasses are an absolute must when on the water. Whether fishing the blue waters of the ocean or ducking into your local stream, Tarij Eyewear has you covered without breaking the bank. Tarij has over a decade of experience and provide a lifetime warranty, 60-day fittings, and free replacements, so you never have to worry about losing a pair of sunglasses again. With lens colors for every situation, Tarij offers high-quality glasses that are saltwater corrosion resistant, scratch resistant, and crazy durable at an incredibly affordable price. I'm excited to announce that Tarij has set up a special 20% discount code for our podcast listeners. That code is Tide Chasers, capital T, one word, to be used at checkout at their website, www.toreg.com. So head over and grab a pair for the boat, the car, your tackle bag, you name it, they have something for everyone. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast. As always, it's our goal to connect our listeners with folks from all parts of the fishing industry. Whether you're a plug builder, charter captain, fishing guide, fly fisherman or woman, marine biologist, or a kayak fisherman, we have a little something for everyone. Before I dive into this week's content, let's give the rundown of where you can find us. We are on Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers. We're on Facebook at Tide Chasers Podcast, as well as all of your major podcast, podcast platforms. 
from Apple Podcasts to Spotify. We're on Pandora, iHeartRadio, as well as Waypoint TV and many more. So last week we recorded part one of our uh, fluke, our shore-based fluke fishing, um, where I was interviewed uh, by Qua and we went back and forth about some things, um, just kind of like an introductory to shore-based fluke fishing. After I got done, I went fishing uh, maybe a day or two afterwards and I encountered some things that kind of made me think, hey, I, I could add on to this and maybe do a part two to dive more into the details. So that's what we're doing today. Um, just to get out there and elaborate on some things that, that I've personally found in the world of shore-based fluke fishing and how I've, uh, how I've overcome different obstacles and such. So I got out for that trip after the first visit and ended up catching another 12 keepers that day um, with another five on my most recent visit. For the season, uh, I went from, I think I was at 38 on the last recording, and now I'm up to uh, 56 keeper fluke with 55 of them being on foot. I've kind of made it this unofficial goal to shoot for 200 fluke on foot. Um, and it's been a lot of fun trying to, to accomplish that and see how many I can get. The reason why we're talking about this is that that 12 keeper trip I had after the first part uh, of this recording, I was met with some challenges. I was fishing the ocean front initially in the morning uh, at sunrise, had a beautiful light wind uh, with reasonable tides, but somewhere around lunchtime, a stiff south wind was just ripping across the ocean front. Not just ripping, I mean, there was sand blowing in your face, just kind of ripping like that. In a lot of cases, I know some of my single fish brethren would have called off the dogs and uh, called that a, a solid morning of fishing and moved on, but I wasn't ready to be done fishing. Uh, the change of wind direction and speed could have made for a pretty miserable trip uh, close out. So I opened up my Google Earth and one of my wind apps to see what made sense. Uh, and I decided to see if I could make a reasonable bounce from ocean front to further back in the bay, maybe a little less elevation that would allow for me to kind of shelter uh, behind some some woods and things like that. And, and it worked out. I mean, seven more fish later, six of those being keepers, move really paid off. Uh, the biggest word of advice I can give is that if you're fishing out front close enough to an, an inlet or a bay, you kind of want to look at that area you're fishing as almost a bowl with the uh, ocean front being the tip that you're fishing. You can kind of move around in a circle of most bay areas to uh, maximize the trip if, if you encounter some, some heavy winds or, or some currents that just aren't to your liking. Um, oftentimes I'll start out oceanfront and just kind of see what's happening there and then bounce further back in the bay, um, especially early season, because you're going to have fish that are deeper in the waters that you're fishing. Um, and the oceanfront might be just a, a more of a fickle bite. You may not run into a lot of fish out there. So I always have fallback options when I'm, when I'm starting my day, uh, you know, I'll, the night before I'll look at wind directions, you know, when things are changing, tides and all that kind of stuff and kind of create a game plan. It's a loose game plan because, you know, as shore-based fishermen, we have to rely on our feet to get us everywhere we're going. Um, so it comes down to what makes sense. Um, obviously gas prices, you don't want to drive across the whole state. I've done that. It's pretty, pretty unreasonable now to do so with the gas prices, but I've literally gone from south to north in a day and fished both the South Jersey and North Jersey. And for, for all purposes of this recording, um, we're focusing on New Jersey, which is the waters I fish mostly. Now I've 
done well with this in Maryland. I've done well with this in Delaware. I'm sure there's beaches up north in, in New York and such that have similar structure features that I like to fish and it would just work the same there. But uh, early in the season, you can always have that fallback option. If you look at the ocean and then the bay behind it is sort of like that bowl, like I said. Uh, by this time, you've already determined which wind direction makes the most sense if you're out on the ocean front. Um, from there, you kind of want to get a comfort level of what you're fishing. So I, for my, my part, I like to have the fish to my back. I mean, the, the wind coming from my back. It just gives me that little extra casting distance. Um, and, you know, you want to make sure that you have a, a reasonable jump and that there's also accessible places to, to jump back to simply because as we know, you know, you have residential areas and, and houses and such. Um, if you can find some side banks or some, some public uh, bay beaches, those are always good spots to, to dip into. Um, so that, that trip, my jump from the ocean took me 19 minutes of driving that I would have spent trying to get my jig down in this little cut or that little cut and hated myself for it. So, I just kind of, like I said, I wanted to start off with how I set up to prepare for a day of fluke fishing, because when I'm out, I'm going all out, you know, basically, and most ideally, like I said, I like to fish with the wind at my back, just allows that little bit of difference in casting distance. Uh, many a time I'll cast out as far as I can. And as that bait flutters to the bottom, it's picked up by a fish before I've even picked up all that slack line. So distance can be a key. Um, I would say also, don't be afraid of having the wind in your face. You know, obviously, you're going to get shorter casts. However, that wind is going to help you drive your jig down faster to the bottom. I mean, that's that's the key here. We always want to have bottom contact. We always want that jig to be on the bottom. We don't want to just be kind of fluttering all over the place and, and not making any contact. If you're not feeling bottom, you're likely not having a successful trip. So you want to adjust accordingly, whether it be, you know, I, a little detail that I'll do is I'll switch from a six inch to a seven inch jerk shad, um, both by gulp just to get a little extra weight from the, the bait, but not from the jig head in, in particular. If that doesn't work, then, you know, I've, I've fished as late as eighth ounce all the way up to three eighths ounce. I don't like to go above three eighths ounce anymore. Um, when I first started doing this back in 2017, 2018, I thought I had to fish a lot heavier um, than I can get away with these days. And I was using, you know, half ounce, three quarter ounce. And to me, you're just dragging a bait along the bottom at that point. You're not getting the kind of action that you need out of it. And yeah, you'll, you'll catch fish that way. Absolutely. Cause they're just sitting there waiting to eat, but you're not going to be as clean with your approach. I would say, you know, it's going to be one of those things where you're, you're catching fish in spite of what you're using, as opposed to because of what you're using, if that makes sense. You know, there's going to be people that'll just drag bait and catch fish all day long. It's a, it's a viable option. Um, but you know, you want to, you want to be interactive. You want to feel the bites. You want to, you want to go to the fish and really just spending a lot of time on your feet, walking around casting and getting to learn the beach structure is the biggest part of it. Um, like I said, I'll cast out as far as I can. A lot of times before I pick up all that slack line, I'll feel that line go tighter and it's a fish picking it up. So there will be times where distance just is, is king and you got to get as much distance as you possibly can. Um, but most of the time fishing this way, um, you're going to find the fish will be within the, the, the 20 yards in front of you or to your left or your right. Um, if you're fishing out past 20, 30 yards, it's more of a crapshoot to me um, because most of those fish are concentrated up close, um, feeding along that beach slip where the, you know, the bait gets disoriented. 
So now when I look for a beach to fish, I'm looking for pretty ordinary structure. I'm not looking for um, anything crazy. The only thing I really care to find on the beach is going to be that pronounced beach slip with a steep drop off from there. What that creates is basically a funnel of, of fish. So basically the waves are crashing at the beach slip and then crashing over, rolling on top of themselves, disorienting bait, and it's dropping right there in the wash. And these lazy fish, flounder or a lazy feeder, that they're having these, these pieces of bait just drop right down to them. And bam, oh, it's it's like a like a like a assembly line of feeding fish. And you, it's not out of the question that you could find 10, 15 fish in every every little cut that, that are ready to eat. It's just a matter of getting your bait to them. And so again, I look for ordinary structure. Um, that pronounced beach slip. You want to you want a stark drop off. You want it to be like once you get to that beach slip, you want it to be curved down and, and you can kind of see where the dark water comes in. Um, and then you want to fish the transition from the dark water to the, the lip itself because the fish will follow right up to the lip. I mean, you can almost count on when it's a clean water day and, and there's bait around seeing fish fluttering throughout the wash there. Um, they'll chase your bait. You'll get to see that. And you can also see how different things react when, when you do certain things. You know, if you get a, a nice, reasonable current and tide and you can just play around, watch what your bait, bait does. We'll touch on that a little bit in, a, in the future here in a little bit. But watch your bait just to make sure you're getting the kind of action you're looking for. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm the minority on this. I can only speak for myself, but I will fish close to structure. But this kind of fishing, for me, it's not best served fishing the sticky stuff like rocks, shell beds, etc. There'll be fish there, of course. They're feeding on all the stuff that's sitting in that structure. But with this kind of fishing, I find it to be less effective overall, simply because you're just trying to capitalize on these fish that are not lone rangers, so to speak, but that are out in the wash and, and, and feeding specifically on what's in, in the wash there. Um, I've fished around jetties, I've fished around rocks, and it's not the same. Um, you can have some success like on the inside cups of a jetty, um, not the inlet portion, but the inside uh, where it wraps around on, on the beach side. Um, that little cut where it backs up to the rocks, um, that little cove per se, that's actually a good spot to fish if you're starting someplace close to an inlet, because you'll have, again, bait concentrate that can't go anywhere else past those rocks, so they get stuck there. And then they're pushed in further by these fish that are feeding on them, whether it be uh, flounder, stripers, et cetera. I mean, a lot of the time I'm, I'm fishing so far this spring, I'm seeing thousands upon thousands of bass in the wash. I've, I've hooked up with lots of them. I've hooked up with a couple 40 inch fish that, you know, I just didn't land a couple, you know, mid, mid to upper slot fish. So it's been, it's been a fun spring, but I'm seeing things, you know, more specifically the way these fish are feeding is a lot very similar to how some of these other predator fish are feeding. You know, they're in tight waiting for that bait to get disoriented and, and get beat up. And now I'm finding that the, the bass and, and things are on, on sand fleas more often, but if you cut open any of these fluke, they also have sand fleas in their belly. So keep that in mind when choosing your colors. Um, but again, you know, the, the beaches, I like that that non-sticky stuff. I like it to be pretty ordinary. I like it just to be pretty wide open beach with you know that that drop. Now, can you fish a beach without the structure and without that beach stuff? Absolutely. It's just your efforts have to be less concentrated. You have to really cast all over the place and, and 
you know, try and tight, try and a little further out. And you're just really fan casting everywhere and hoping to, to find a bite. It's a little bit different scenario. Doesn't mean that there's not fish there, but they're not concentrating their efforts in one specific place. Um, and they, they're still gonna frequent, you know, the areas of the sticky subs, the sticky areas like rocks and jetties and things. So there are plenty of people that do, rel do really well fishing jetty rocks. I mean, we talked about it the last time. You know, the chicken rig is another uh, shore-based angler option for those people that are fishing, you know, the jetties and, 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 and inlets from the jetties. For me, it's not my thing. Um, I often have to fish too heavy doing that. I don't like the feel of it, but there are guys like our friends, Aaron and, and Johnny, and uh, there's another guy, Austin, um, that do really well fishing, you know, Barnegat Inlet for these flounder and they're using the chicken rig option with heavy weights on the bottom. Not my thing, but it's a successful tactic. Um, there are beaches throughout the state of New Jersey that, that all have, you know, this kind of structure I'm looking for, um, that you can fish this style. Inlet beaches, if fishable with that light of weight are always good options because fish come and go and that's their highway to and from the ocean. I like the inlet beaches. Um, that's another place I like to, to, you know, concentrate my efforts because you have fish coming and going at all times. And then you can find some of these inlet beaches that have that, that structure that will give you that drop off on the beach. Um, I've found that a handful of these that come to mind would be Townsend's Inlet and Corson's Inlet without getting too crazy about spot burning. I don't do that thing, but people, I've got messages. Oh, you can only do this in certain places. It's not true. Um, I've been successful doing the single jig tactic um, in multiple states at this point, whether it be Maryland, whether it be Delaware, whether it be New Jersey, the, those are the places I fish for flounder. So I don't have any other, um, I don't have any other like fallbacks. I, I guarantee you if I go up like Long Island Sound, some of those places have that same beach structure that I like to look for. Um, tend to be more, uh, you know, rocky pebble beaches, but still the same kind of structure that you're looking for. And that's where those fish like to hang just simply because they have easy meals right on the edge there. Um, I, I've touched on this in the past, but flounder are very lazy feeders. Now, will they chase down a bait? They sure will. And we'll talk about that some more, but they would prefer the bait just be swept right over top of them and they can just hang there and pluck away all day. But again, like I said, Towson's, Corson's Inlet, both of these are uh, beaches, inlet beaches that I've had success fishing this way. Um, just be prepared to put some miles in. I'm very rarely clocking less than 12 miles on a shore based fluke fishing session. It's typically between 15 and 20 mile range and I've gone over 20 miles in, at times. Um, so, that's just kind of the thing. You got to be prepared uh, physically to be able to, to put in this kind of time as well. Um, it's very rare that I'm less than double digit miles. You know, I have my Apple watch with me kind of tracking my, my course and it's pretty impressive some of the miles I've put in over some of these trips, but you just kind of lose track of that. Um, so we, we've, we've hit on the, the gear a little bit previously you know, on the previous episode, but the gear is the show. It's what makes everything happen. The right gear will make your job easier. The wrong gear will result in low success. As far as the gear goes, I've been using my Century Demon uh, seven foot six rod and having a blast. Um, I've used lesser rods than that in the past and still done well. Um, but 
as I've grown as an angler, I've wanted to kind of make the finite details, uh, maximize my chances to continue to do well. And some of the things that I can tweak is just getting better gear so I can feel the bites sooner. Um, with that being said, I actually plan to use the weapon junior, the century weapon junior, uh, seven foot, 10 inch going forward more for the fluke fishing. The demon's a nice light fun rod, but the century, the weapon junior is more, more of a rod that has a little bit more of a backbone and it's more, uh, well-rounded, I would say that I could use it on some bigger fish and things like that. Um, Personally, I find anything under seven foot to be tough to use simply because you need the length when fishing a lighter rod, lighter jig to load up for the hook set. Um, once these fish take a bite out of your jig, you have very little time for error. Um, lots of times it's one bite and done. Multiple times in the past, I've waited for that second bite and I go to set the hook and it's gone. Lately, I've been trying to set the hook on the first bite and that's usually been my success point. Um, if you can, if you can get it down to the point where you feel that bite um, well enough to get in a position to set a hook on the first bite, do it, do it. Um, lots of times they've already had your bait rolling around their mouth. They got a taste for it. They may not like it, may have some sunscreen, may have something off putting on it. So you may only get one chance at that fish. Now that that's not a given. Um, it's just, just a little word of advice. So Again, you need that length for the, the better hook set. Um, I use my eye strike jigs, you know, they, they, I have not found a better jig head that matches up to the jerk shads as, as well as the eye strike jigs. And I, I am biased, don't get me wrong, but I've been using these jigs for years on many different fish and they have not failed me. Um, you know, it, it turns out I, I found them at like a little local tackle shop in my area and I was using them for walleye. And the walleye fishing was actually what lined me up to be successful with fluke fishing because it's very similar. You know, you're ticking along the bottom, feeling the bottom, but walleye fishing, you're fishing the sticky stuff. So it's, it's a little bit different in that scenario, but you're still looking for that little subtle thump and, and it's very similar. So the, the eye strike jigs is what kind of really does it for me. I, I love these jig heads. Um, for all uses, I just prefer the pearl eyes. I don't really get into all the different colors, but they have red, they have chartreuse, silver, um, they have glow. So there's a lot of different options as far as the eye colors go. Um, but you can hop on their website. It's www.eyestrikefishing.com. Um, they have bulk pricing for the jig heads. So you can buy a pack of, you know, 50 jig heads and get crazy bulk pricing. Um, and then you're set up for the season for other stuff too. because we all know that quarter ounce jig head is a money size for many different things. I use that for wall. I use that for striper, many different things. So it goes across the board and is, is really good. So I'm just going to give a rundown of what I use. So they have two special jig heads. I, I really like to use, and it's going to be the redfish eye and the swim bait eye. Now the redfish eye, in my opinion, is the perfect jig head to pair with the jerks, jerk shads. It's a four out hook. Um, so it's a big enough hook and it's available in one eighth, three sixteenth quarter and three eighths ounce all of our favorite sizes. I wouldn't go above three eighths. There's people that do it, um, but from sure it's, it's a little more difficult to get the right kind of action. Um, for the five inch jerk shads, the smaller ones, if you're finding that your fish are on smaller baits and you want to size down a little bit, the swim bait eye, you can actually find the swim bait eye in, in dicks if you're in a pinch. 
Um, they're under the Z-Man badging, but the swim bait eye in the three-aught size matches perfectly with the um, with the five-inch jerk shads. Only thing you want to do to tweak that jig head is just take your pliers and pinch down the um, the lure keeper barbs just so they're a little softer. I mean, because it's harder to get that five-inch jerk shad up over the, the collar. Um, I like to pinch them down a little bit so easier on, but they're still there to keep it from sliding off. And, but again, perfect, perfect size comparison. You can get the 3 uh, three-aught swim bait eyes. Um, like I said, it pairs beautifully. It's available in eighth ounce, three sixteenths, and quarter ounce sizes. Now they also make a five-aught um, swim bait eye, which really pairs nicely with that seven-inch jerk shaft. Um, I like it when I'm also getting short strikes on the six-inch jerk shafts. Puts the hook just a little bit further back and it really keeps some of those fish buttoned up that you would have missed otherwise because they're biting short. Um, the 5.0 swim bait eye works really well for the seven inch jerk shads just because it, it cuts some of that length in half on the, on the jerk shads. If, if you put like one of the smaller hooks on there, you got a lot of length behind the hook that the fish has to get through before it touches your hook. Just, just makes sense. I mean, if you think about it, if you take out all the science and all this, just think about the most minor detail. Guess what? The hook being further back, as long as it's not off-putting as a, as a visual to the fish, it's only going to help you catch more fish. Just common sense, right? So as far as the bait goes, it's almost always all jerk shads all day. Every once in a while when you're getting short strikes and it's a, you know, a finicky bite, it's always worth it to have a, you know, a couple of your curly tail grubs in your back pocket. Why? Because if you get to the point where you have to drag bait because you're on a, a finicky bite, that's still imparting nice action from the tail as you're, as you're doing so. Um, I like to do the curly tails in much slower presentation, just kind of wing it. Um, but very rarely do I, I go that route. Um, I'll put the, the, the curly tails on for my kids and all just because um, they aren't quite to the point where they learn you know, the pop pop drop action for the jerk shads um believe it or not that change could be the difference i mean it's just really i i usually keep i have a little container waterproof container that i have all my jerk shads in there's usually four or five curly tails in there i don't i don't really commit to it big time but i have it there just in case and then i have more in the car if i need to fall back um but it's always good to have a second option you know there's sometimes that the jerk shads while we all think that they're great you know we're we're the jerk shad army, right? Um, sometimes that curly tail just does what it's supposed to do and it'll, it'll help you out of a bind if you're on a tough bite. Um, now I haven't made this move at, at all this season simply because I, I've done well enough on the jerk shads, but I think the reason why the jerk shads are so effective is really, it comes down to science in the, in the shortest and most um, common sense terms. Um, If you've taken the time to watch, and I mentioned this earlier, if you've taken the time to watch how your shad reacts when it's in the water and, it, and the water is like a, a lighter tide, you can kind of see why that fish would be interested in your jig. Um, when you do the, the jig, jig drop, and that's really, that's my cadence. It's jig, jig, drop, sweep. That sweep is your pendulum sweep. Now, a lot of times you get it on that, that sweep, you'll get a bite on that sweep or the first jig after the sweep because you've got the fish's attention at that point if there's a fish around they've seen this 
And that jig, jig pop, once, if you work it properly, the, properly, that bait is should be head heavy, right? So the head should be pointed down and the rest of the body should be kind of fluttering above. And it looks like it's a minnow feeding in, in the, the sand. And um, it, when you do the jig, jig drop, you're creating a sand poof. And I gotta thank my friend, Kate uh, McStravog, who is our marine biologist. It does, it creates a poof in the sand. And what does this looks like, look like to a predator fish around? Well, it looks like, hey, there's this fish over here feeding in the sand. Looks like an easy mark for me. It doesn't even know I'm coming. So when that bait is sitting there fluttering along, you got the little wiggle to the tail and then bam, fish picks it up. Why? Because it looks like it's mimicking feeding behavior out of the food that you're, you're looking to eat if you're that flounder. Um, it looks like a bait, it just looks like it's feeding on the bottom. This incites a, a feeding response from the predatory fish in the area. The whole, I see my food eating food let me grab him while he least expects a deal that comes into play. It's a perfect predatory response to that situation. You know, you see this, 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 whether it be uh, glass minnows or a sand eel or whatever it may be that, that these fish are feeding on at that time. You see that peanut bunker, you see it with its nose in the sand. It looks like it's feeding. It looks like a hey, easy meal. And bam, I'm excited. I got to get over there right now. Boom. Those two things is how that, that works. I, there's, there's just a power in making your bait look as if it's feeding, getting the action right. Um, oftentimes, if you have to cast out too far, my, I try and think of what, what that looks like to the fish when you're casting out at these longer distance. Um, oftentimes, it's not till I get that bait in closer to me that I'm starting to get the bite. So my guess is that pop, pop, and drop that slide movement makes it look like the, the bait's just dragging at further distances. So you really want to just hone in on the details. You want to feel, you want to feel your bait at all times. You want to feel what it's doing. Um, lots of times, you know, if you do it right, you'll have the fish fighting, you'll have fish fighting one another to get to the, grab your bait. I've had multiple times where I've had my jerk shed fluttering along in the, in the wash there. And I'll see three or four flounder there just kind of, picking it up and dropping it, picking it up and dropping. And then one of them just finally powers through the rest of them and grabs it big time. It's amazing what you can see with good optics. Good optics is another, another piece of gear that are, that are highly uh, recommended. Um, and if you've watched, you know, there's a lot of guys that do the, the other, the underwater footage of, you know, the flounder chasing down their baits. And if you do it, like I said, if you've seen any underwater footage of flounder, you know, feeding on lures dragged on the bottom, there are often three or four fish in the frame. Any one of them is ready to pounce. It's just, you got to find the right one. that's ready to feed at that point. Now, a lot of people ask me if colors make a difference. I do believe that there is a time and place for certain colors. Um, I have my favorites that seem to produce more than others. If I try um, ocean front, I do well with pink shine, white and chartreuse. Uh, some of the bay beaches that dirty up quicker, um, I recommend having those bright colors handy. I don't fish chartreuse often, but um, that time uh, where the, the most recent trip where I had five fit, five keepers, um, I found that the bay was very muddy when I first started my trip. I started off where I left off the previous time. I kept, I, I caught keepers, keepers, sorry, 
all the way up until a little after 9 p.m. So I said, why not go back there and start there and see what happens? Well, I started there and the water was really dirty, seaweed everywhere, made a few casts. It just wasn't worth it. So bounce out the oceanfront, beautiful, clean water. That's the thing. You, you got to be able to willing to adjust, be willing to adjust. You can go from um, Bay Beach to oceanfront and have clean water in minutes. But if you want to fish that Bay Beach that's got dirty water, you got to hope that it clears out over time. So I fished the ocean, went out, caught three keepers, and then I, I came back to that Bay Beach. The Bay Beach had cleaned up a little bit, but there's still tons and tons of seaweed. Being I could see this area from an elevation, I could see where there was what looked like a patch of cleaner water, like right in the middle of all this. It looked like there was, I don't know, like a, a circle of sand, essentially, from above. You could see the, the seaweed all around it, and then, bam, there was just this probably 20 by 50 yards wide open area that looked clean. So I said, what the hell? Let's see if I can get some precise um, casts in there. And sure enough, that clean water produced two 19-inch fishes back to back. Um, it's just a matter of you, you got to kind of get this down to this mental thing. Like, can the fish see your bait? Where do you expect them to be type thing? So so far, with it still being early, I mean, we were still just the very beginning of July. We haven't even had the best part of the oceanfront fluking come up yet. So I, I feel pretty fortunate to have had the success I've had thus far without even the best part of it ahead of me. So I'm really looking to, to hit that goal of 200 fish. But that 200 by 50 yard piece of water, I mean, it could have could have had 10 fish there. I don't know. But I caught two. And then at that point, I said, you know what? call it a day. I didn't fish it very long. I fished it maybe 20 minutes. Um, had another bite or two, but you, the, the key is clean water, bait, and that, that's really it. Um, do wind and tide make a difference? Sure, but you always have fallback options. You always want to have fallback options. Um, I've Sometimes my fallback option is the next town down. You know, maybe the bay that beach I'm fishing here doesn't have the kind of structure I'm looking for when I dip further back, or maybe it doesn't have the kind of access, right? When you're fishing on foot, access is a problem. We know this, um, try fishing the Delaware River on the Pennsylvania side, any, anywhere. Access is a huge, huge, you know, factor. So if the place you're planning on fishing out front looks crummy, unexpectedly crummy, it's always good to have multiple fallback options whether it's in the same town or at the town below you or wherever there's going to be fish trust me there's there's fish everywhere um i'm having the best season i've ever had and i'm not trying very hard to do it now i'm putting some miles on but i do that anyway um it's just the things i've learned over the years you know i've fished with my buddy mark he's he's probably the most phenomenal i've ever seen at this him and Roger are now offering their, um, their, their, their lessons. And I think it's great. They're teaching a lot of people the ways and I've had a number of people reach out to me. So that's why I'm doing this. I really want to just kind of help our listeners. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people we, we talked about like the, the action and, and speed. I, I get a lot of questions, you know, as far as the action goes, a lot of people will ask me how fast I work it. Honestly, I let the fish determine that. Um, it's usually for the most part, it's very 
I won't say it's mechanical, um, but a robotic, but it kind of is, you know, you, you have this sequence in your head where you, you realize, okay, I got bottom. Now I need to start retrieving this lure. So mine is, it's really just like this. It's pop, pop, drop. And then that pendulum drag back. And then I'll let it sit for a second and then repeat it. Um, if I have a fish pick it up and drop it and then they don't pick it up again right away, I'll do a couple of like real tight pops and then a nice dramatic pop in there too. You really want to switch it up. Like the, the fish, aren't, you know, it's, I mentioned robotic, but these fish aren't robots. They're going to respond in different ways. And, you know, if they feel like something's being taken away from them, they might have a more aggressive response. Right. So I like to do those small pops and then a big, big pop mixed in there. And then I'll just let it sit for a second and then proceed. It's very rare that I get into um, changing my, my speeds or anything. It's, it's, it, it makes sense to keep it a certain way, but let's say you have almost no tide, right? And you're fishing this, this area, you want to create a drift for, for all intents and purposes. So you want to set yourself up. Uh, if you have a low tidal coefficient, we talked about that the last visit, last visit, the last recording, you have a low tidal coefficient means that less water is passing through the area that you're fishing, right? Tidal coefficient is the amount of water is being moved on a, on a tide. Um, higher, higher tidal coefficients will be concentrated around your full moons. And then once you have the new moon, you have the lighter tidal coefficients. And for me, I like, I like to fish those days more frequently. Um, but we often know that, you know, I'm a dad, I have three kids, I work. We get the time we get and we got to make the most of it. So if you are fishing some someplace with no current, no, no tide currently, I like to fish up current and then work it back to me sideways. You know, there's there's lots of different ways to do this. Um, but as far as the speed goes, it's it's just really I let the, the fish determine it. I don't usually know what action or cadence I'm going to use until I find the one that works. Um, it's often pop, pop, drop and then drag for that pendulum cast. Um, but when I say pop, pop, drop, it's not that fast. Um, it's usually a first pop after the pendulum for me where I get the bites. I don't keep it the same. I've had casts that I work for two, three minutes at a time. You know, if you're getting bites along the way, or if you had some bites in a specific area, you want to really break that area down and, and take your time if you have the ability to do so. It's not a race. Um, being your shore-based angler, it's in your benefit to take your time through each cast because we only have that water that's in front of us available to us. We're not on a kayak. We're not on a boat. We can't bounce to this, you know, this side bank. We can't find this drift. We have to work the water that's in front of us. So it behooves us to work it down to the most nitty gritty details. And if it's slowing it down and working through a specific spot where you think you might be, might find some fish helps do it. Um, there's no, there's no science to your cadence. It really is determined about by, by how the fish are eating that day. Um, if I get a bite and miss, you know, some of those tighter pops uh, kind of mimic a, a, an injured bait fish. So it might have the ability to have a fish come back. You know, you just want to, if you have a, a fish bit your, your bait there and you think it might still be in the area and may not have felt the hook, I'd like to make those ones a little bit, um, the working that, that jig after that a little bit more errant, I guess I like to put it all over the place, you know, and just kind of let it settle down and, and then just kind of like do some pretty aggressive pops after that, settle down, 
pretty aggressive pops. And then I'll eventually I'll go back to my, my retrieve as I normally would. Uh, we talked about this, but despite, despite those vicious thumps we live for, flounder are lazy feeders. They'd much rather have something natural slink down into you know, where they're laying as opposed to chasing down bait. It's not their forte. They do it, but why not lay there and hope it comes to them first, right? So you always want to transition yourself to be able to fish spots where bait would naturally dump to. Sandbars, if you're able to get out and weed fish a sandbar, you could easily run into a killer bite. Maybe the best bite you've ever been on. I've had some of those. It's pretty amazing. The troughs that lay right inside, you know, sandbar break are amazing spots to fish. It can often be lights out. I've had days last year where I went out to a sandbar that was probably 100 yards off the beach, but I could access it pretty easily from one part of the beach. So I was probably 100 yards off the beach on the sandbar working the um the water between the beach and the sandbar and it was a different it was a different feel because i'm actually casting toward the beach at that point but those little troughs where the deeper water sits right inside of a sandbar break can be absolutely lights out i had a day last year i was out on one of these sandbars and i probably caught 30 or 40 fish in about i don't know not even an hour like every bite and then the bites that I missed, you could see three or four fish following up. They weren't all big fish. You know, there was a lot of small fish mixed in, maybe, you know, some slots and such now that you can think of as far as what we're into the, this year. Again, just to remind everybody, New Jersey's fishing limits are two fish, slot fish between 17 inches and 17.99 inches, and then a fish over 18. Um, as far as measuring your fish, just another pointer here. This is, this is a, an important one. Um, with these slot fish, obviously, if you put them in ice, they're, they're going to shrink down. Qua mentions this to me all the time. You want to measure underneath the fish. You want to have something that it lays on, whether it be a bump board or like one of those um, flat rulers, just to get a good feel. Because if you're, if you're measuring over the hump of the fish, you're going to get up to another half or you know, six-tenths of an inch out of that fish, and it may not be a legal fish at that point. So I always try to make sure my fish are any of the slots I keep are that 17 and a half, or if it's, you know, 17 and a quarter, I'm leaving at that point. I'm not gonna, not gonna stick around and let that one shrink in my cooler or anything like that. You know, I've, I've caught 56 keeper fluke and I've let more than half of them go so far this year. Um, but the ones I do keep, I like to keep, you know, the smaller versions of some days you don't run into that. Um, I like the slot fish. I one of my good friends, Alex asked me, he goes, why do you like these these new limits i said well for me it forces me to put fish that i would have kept back at this point i said a 17 inch fish still feeds my family adequately so for me to need more than that it's never about more than that one fish is a meal that's the way i look at it so if i leave with one fish i left with one meal that's that's great in my book I'm, i don't ever go out there with expectations now I have this offshoot thing where I'm trying to catch the 200 keeper fluke in the season and that that's all great and good. But for all intents and purposes, I'm going out there to catch fish and most of them are going to be released. I think I've, uh, I haven't kept track of it for my friends over at release over 20, but I think I've released out of 56 fish. I've released 14 or 15, 20 inch plus fish so far. So it, it's, there's some good fish out there. I don't, I, I, I see a lot of people comment and talk about how they're having like a bad year. And I, I'm having a pretty astronomical, I can't, I can't complain a bit now. 
Will it, will it stay this way? Probably not. I mean, I, I've now caught 125 total fluke this year and 56 have been keepers. That's a, those are gaudy numbers that I don't expect to, you know, to keep up with, but wow. You know, a lot of people sit back and say, you know, how do you do it? You know, you're just fishing where all the fish are and all that kind of stuff. I've, I've caught limits all over the state of New Jersey. I fish a couple places more often than not. Um, but I could go to a Southern beach and probably have a good day right now and, and not think anything of it. And I can easily go North or the middle of state. And it's the same thing. You just got to look for the same kind of structure and the fish will be there. So we've covered the rod. We've covered the lures and jigs, but what about the line? Um, I think on the previous uh, episode, I mentioned my line. I prefer suffix 832. I've used it for God, probably 10 years now going back to snakehead fishing. And if you do any kind of snakehead fishing, you realize real quick the, the contenders and the pretenders in the braided line category, because a lot of them just don't hold up. The power pros, out of here. J braid, out of here. It's really suffix 832 is the standalone winner, in, in my opinion. We all have our preferences, but I have years of experience with these, these uh, braids, and the suffix 832 is, is my my money braid. Um, right now I'm using, using coastal camo. I've never used that color. It's just kind of a cool color. Um, and at the time it was all they had in the bulk where I was at. I'm using a 15 pound coastal camo. Um, I use the Seaguar red label 12 pound leader uh, as my, my leader material. Um, Kwan, I talked about on the previous episode, you know, do I think I'll eventually tweak that? And I think I will. Um, I think I'm going to try and size down on the braid, maybe the 10 pound braid and go like to a 10 pound fluoro and just, just see if there's any, any differences in that scenario. You know, you, you always try and tweak your, your gear to, to suit you and th to find more fish. That's the goal. Um, but as far as, is that enough of a difference? Well, what else can I tweak at this point? I've literally, I've replaced my lesser rods with, as Kwa would say, the Gucci of rods with the century rods. Um, I already feel like I have the right jigs. I don't need to do anything with my jigs. Eye strike is on the money. Um, but I will say if you have a harder time finding the eye strike jigs, um, website's great, but if you're in a pinch, um, Dante from magic tail makes some great jig heads for, um, jerk sheds. Um, I had, I had some good luck with, with, uh, some of his, uh, non-eyed, jig heads, the kill shots. Um, I was out on a beach with only eighth and quarter ounce and I needed more than that. My buddy gave me a couple three eighths ounce. And I gotta say, I really, I really thought that they were an adequate jig head. So for you guys local, um, the magic tail kill shots are legit. They, they line up nice with the jerk sheds. They have the right kind of collar. that's not going to tear them up, but keep them there. Um, so I definitely recommend them. Nice, sharp, sharp hooks. So if you're looking for a second option, that's not, you know, eye strike, if eye strike's not readily available to you, which we can all order online, let's, let's be honest. And then they have them at Dick's too. Um, definitely recommend the, the kill shots from uh, Dante at Magic Tail. So, like I said, I have the 12 pounds, 12 pound cigar uh, red label for the leader. I use connection knot. I don't use any of the any of the terminal tackle, I just look at more terminal tackle is more points of failure. 
this is why I look at the chicken rig and I look at that thing and I'm like, man, that scares me because, you know, let's say we get two big fish at the same time or something like that. Like I'm always looking at the scenarios where something can go wrong. Um, so I, I'm of the belief that of the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid, right? Single jig, connection knot to your, from your leader to your braid, and then that's it. I don't, I don't get fancy. I don't do teasers. I, I've never had to do teasers. It's just another thing you got to keep up with. Not my thing. I mean, listen, if I was going out to, to catch a meal every time, I, I'm not, the way I'm doing it is the way I'm doing it now. I'm not doing anything else to, if I had to rely on myself to live by eating fish, I'm going to keep doing it the way I'm doing it because it works and it's simple. Um, I use the connection knot, the, the Alberto knot is the, the connection knot that I, I use. I, I like it. It's easy to tie even in wind. Um, it's quick. I, I like the FG knot too. It's just a little bit more complicated. It's not for everybody. Um, but the between the FG knot and the Alberto knot, you can't go wrong. Those are good connection knots and they'll never, if you do it right, they won't fail you on, on a flounder. Um, I usually run about three feet of leader. Uh, I tie a lefty's loop knot or, or you can search a perfection knot to my jig. Um, it'll give you a little bit of extra action and move a little bit more naturally on your line. Um, as opposed to the stiffness of tying like a regular knot. This is my go-to knot for any presentation of soft or hard plastics anywhere. Um, I know a lot of people crush me for this, but the people using the tactical anglers clips on soft plastics and jig heads, you're doing yourself a disservice. It looks funny. If it looks funny to you, it looks funny to the fish. And I don't want anything causing my fish to take a second glance at that jig before they're, they're ready to go nuts on it. Um, having that big old paper clip on your jig head, bad news bears. Just tie a knot. Learn how to tie good knots. That's one of the biggest, that's probably one of the biggest points of uh, reference I can give to anybody. Tie good knots. Practice. Tie, practice tying these knots because they'll, they'll, they won't do you wrong if you do it. Um, the first time that, that clip looks unnatural, it could be to a fish you never had a chance to see. Just remember that. There's going to be fish that will glance at that and turn away because it doesn't look natural. And granted, you know, most of these fish aren't seeing a paper clip out in front of their, their minnows when they're eating them, right? I, that, that's, no, that's no knock on tactical, uh, you know, the, the, the tactical anglers clips, they're great. I use them in other scenarios, but this is not a scenario to use them. Using them on your bottom sweeper jigs when you're sheep's head fishing, again, it just looks funny. It's not natural. Do yourself a favor and tie good knots, period. Tiger knots. I don't know if I need to say this one more time for everybody out there, but learn how to tie good knots. Less points of failure on your line is, is always going to be better. And really, you know, the, you only want that one look before they slurp your bait in. And if they got to look a second time, you're like, what is that? Nope. So we've covered the beer gear. We've covered beach structure. Beer. That sounds good. Only thing left to cover is the other essentials. And, you know, if you're keeping fish, I recommend having a nice cooler bag with you. I have uh, two. I have the Coleman cooler bag, which is like a backpack style. It looks like a legit backpack. Um, has one good pocket that I can keep everything I need in. Uh, all you need, I bring pliers, scissors, leader line, jig heads. Um, yeah, that's it. Pliers, scissors, leader line, jig heads. Can't think of anything else that I need. That's it.
travel light. Um, when I'm not, <laughs> I made a joke about this, but when I'm not uh, keeping fish, I use a fanny pack. So I do some fanny pack fluking. Um, I have a tactical fanny pack that everything I need fits in it. And I always throw like a, one of those little, you know, um, regular stringers in there just in case I want to keep a fish at the end. Uh, but, you know, if you don't have the, the proper care for the fish you're keeping, it just doesn't make sense to keep, you know, try and keep fish when you're walking 10, 12 miles a day. Um, I have the Coleman backpack style and then I have the angle cooler bag, which a lot of people have seen made popular. Um, Mark uses it. A lot of guys are using it on the beach. Um, that it's a little, a little bulky for me. Um, does it work? Absolutely. It's great. It has a separate compartment for your ice to keep the ice off the fish. Um, but again, it's a little, I, I'm of the belief I like to keep it simple. So it's a little bit, you know, large for me. It works, but to each their own, right? Um, just as I said, the backpack style made by Coleman suits suits me more as it's lightweight, allows me to keep my stringer and any other tools in the, that other pocket. Um, beyond that, bug spray, dude, like bug spray, you would not believe how many times I've been out fishing and the wind turns, bugs turn on. Bad news. Do you want to end your trip at that point or do you want to keep fishing? Um, I've had multiple days where I've been out fishing and you get a slight wind change and then the, bite, the, the, the bite turns off and the, the fly bite turns on. Whether it be green heads, no seum, uh, the black biting flies, Captain Ron's bug spray is the best I've used. I've used them all. I've used 100% deep. I've actually been on my kayak with the screens over my head and everything else. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, Captain Ron's bug spray totally, totally uh, dig that stuff, and it smells good. Um, but yeah, if you get into if you get into those bugs biting, it makes for an absolute brutal trip, especially if you're miles down the beach and you got to walk back. I've done it. It's not fun. Uh, I've done it where I've literally been covered in those black biting flies, just destroying me. I spray my whole being down and I can't get rid of them at that point. But the, the Captain Ron's does a trick. It just allows me to stay fishing while others are walking off swatting bugs. Um, Beyond that, I just picked up a pair of Orvis wading booties, which I think are amazing. They're uh, Christmas Island is what they're called, the Christmas Island booties uh, made by Orvis. Um, they keep sand out and I've about 30 miles on them over the course of two and a half trips. And so far, absolute money, uh, no complaints. The only thing is they keep your feet wet. So the only discomfort you really get out of them is your feet being constantly wet over the course of a day. That can be a whole nother factor. Uh, it's just another tool to make, you know, make you more effective out there. So, you know, the, you got all the right gear, you got all the right, this, all the right, that, then you're equipped, you know, on your feet to take care of your body while you're out there. You want to have your water, anything you're going to need to, to make it a day. Because very rarely do you walk on the beach and pop three fish and then you're out of there. It doesn't really, doesn't really work that way. So I think that's about a wrap. I mean, uh, hopefully, with the details relayed here, I've been able to share some tips that will allow you to be more productive on the beachfront. July is the month, man. It's only going to get better from here. So get the gear ready and get out there on the beach. I can't stress enough that half the battle, more than half the battle is just getting out there. You can always make um, adjustments. You can, you can always call an audible, right? You can always say, this ain't working. Let me figure something out before I get too far down this rabbit hole. I do that all the time, more so now because 
my knowledge has exploded. You know, I, I consider, you know, you hear sports players called students of the games and that's just one of the things I do. I'm always studying different, you know, things that cause feeding behavior to trigger and this and that, and where fish transition to at certain points. And it's amazing once you dive into the, the science behind these fish of how much uh, I would say your game would increase if you so choose. So I totally recommend, you know, watching videos, reading about these species, reading what triggers them to feed and, and then get out there and trying it. Um, all of these products are, are very readily available on the internet. You know, the jerk shads, they're, they're all over the place at your local tackle shops. Uh, they're made by Galt. Um, the century rods uh, I've picked up from my buddy, Chris, down at Tight Lines Bait and Tackle in Summers Point, Ocean City. He's had one of the uh, better supplies that i've seen of them and he's he's a great dude period he's been on our podcast and then uh obviously i talked back and forth to the guys at um, advanced fishing and avalon about some of these builds just to kind of learn more about the the rods themselves but the eye strike stuff i mean i've been with eye strike since i think 2017 and they're innovative man they, they, they make good jigs they're a little company out of charleston south carolina with big dreams i mean I, I feel fortunate that I stumbled across them and I'm not big on the whole pro stab this pro stab that, but they're the one relationship that I have with a company out there that I never want to end. Um, I would say uh, they support the angler, they support conservation. Um, David, who is the part of the owner also started the release over 20 initiative. So it's very important. I, there's a flounder category there that I need to be better about submitting my 20 inch releases to, which I told him I would. So there's a lot of people out there doing this, doing it very well. I don't, I don't sit here and think I'm the best at, but I'm doing well enough to, to kind of share what I know. And hopefully it'll help you, you all out there catch more fish. That being said, uh, we definitely appreciate all the, the time and, and, and messages spent, you know, you guys tuning in and listening to us and, and sharing our content. And I get, I've gotten so many messages since that first, uh, that first part of this fluking series that, it, it inspired me, man. It's, it's great. Like I'm getting all these messages. Hey, I did this and this worked and Hey man, that was such a great tip. This worked. Like I've probably gotten two dozen of those messages since last week. And it's really what made me decide to go further with this because I left a lot of details on the table, not purposely, just that once you get into this, you have a certain period of time that you want to keep your listeners attention. And that was the goal. You know, I wanted to get as much information in that period of time. So this here is basically the expert level course, I guess. No, it's just, just details, um, details that were left out the last time and kind of help you dive further into that short base fluke fishing game. Because I got to tell you, it can be very rewarding. It's not, it's not hard. It's not hard. You just got to know where should these fish be at this given point and what are they eating? You know, there's peanut bunker that's been shown up on small peanut bunkers, been shown up in the bays. Um, I've seen the glass minnows, I've seen the, the sardines and stuff. So all of all the bait that's been missing up to this point is all showing up. Now, will that change the way we fish? Uh, it might, it might, it might be harder to find a hungry fish. Um, but I like to fish around bait when I'm fishing for fluke because very rarely they take one bite and leave, you know, they're, they're feeding for a while. Um, and they'll, they'll eat some big baits. I mean, we, we talk about size of baits and stuff uh, five inch six inch seven inch i caught a 14 inch flounder that 
absolutely engulf that seven inch jerk shad. So it's not out of the question that these fish are eating bigger baits. Don't feel like your bait's too big. If you think it's too, bait, too big, you are wrong, period. Um, like I said, I've caught 12, 13 inch fish on baits that were more than half their size. It's just a matter of being confident in what you're throwing, uh, being confident in your gear and having the right details behind you to support why you're where you're at. Um, it takes time. Like I'm not, the, the first year I did this uh, was mixed results. Um, last year I was sick a lot. So, you know, I got my surgery in the fall, but before that, I, I think I had, you know, 40 some keepers and four or five trips, but this year it's just lights out every time it's been um, more than it's been limit plus every time out. So I feel like for me, the biggest thing I did was focus more on the details. Um, those windows of where it should be. I don't, I don't get too much into, you know, feeding times or any of that kind of stuff. I, I have looked at that stuff in the past. I just, I can't with me being busy. I have three kids. I have a full-time job. I have a wife, you know, I can't hone my fishing time down to, you know, those, those feeding periods, but I know a lot of people really do kind of try and um, transition for those feeding periods and be there at a certain time. I will say this um, first light, and last light, that magic hour, it's not just good for striped bass. I catch out of my 56 keepers, I would say probably 40% of them have been magic hour fish. You know, the first few hours of sunlight or first few hours of light before the sunrise. And then the last few hours of light before, after the sundown. So don't sleep on it. I had someone ask me like what, what they thought about that time, you know, fishing from six o'clock on. I'm like, this is my favorite time to fish. If I had it to do this way every time, it's my favorite time to fish. I've gotten off work at five and driven to the beach just for an hour and a half worth of daylight because it's the best time to fish. If I can concentrate my efforts in any period of time, that evening, right before the sun goes all the way down, money, money, money. Heard it here. I love it. Anyway, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been another excellent uh, opportunity for us to share our, our content with you. Um, you can find us on Tide Chasers podcast on Facebook, Tide underscore Chasers on Instagram. Again, we're on all of your major podcast platforms, Pandora, Apple, Spotify. Um, we're on Waypoint TV on your smart TV. So it's a, it's a great, it's a great uh, ability to access our content. Uh, please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. I'm very, very uh, available. And I have taken a lot of questions and, and given a lot of uh, tips through direct messages since the first uh, episode. And I would expect it would be pretty similar on this one as well. Thank you for tuning in. As always, everybody, tight lines. I hope to see lots of those flounder catches. Um, if we helped you out in any way, tag us, uh, tag, tag tie chasers in the, uh, the catches and, let, and we'll share your catches as well. So thanks again, everybody, and tight lines. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.